All right, well, we've, we've made it. We got to the end, or just about to the end, of a two-month, um, I was going to say slog, that sounds, that sounds unhelpful, that we, a two-month study in, in the book of Romans, in the letter to the Roman church. I, I do hope that you found it helpful. The, the, the goal was that we would spend time individually exploring the, the truths in Romans and, and challenging our faith and kind of how we understand some of those concepts. And then we'd, we'd spend time every week in community groups talking about it and wrestling with it a little bit. And then we'd spend time each Sunday, over eight Sundays, kind of listening about and hearing about and learning about some of the the highlights, that we haven't gone through every single verse and pulled every verse apart because it'd be longer than eight weeks for sure. And so I hope you've found it helpful. We've talked a lot about how we're united with God through through Jesus, through our faith in Jesus. There's a lot of what Romans is about, is about being united with him. What I want us to end with is a challenge of being united with each other. And so we're going to look at the theme in Romans 14 and, and 15. The first verse of Romans 14, and it says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. So basically, don't sweat the small stuff. Be concerned about issues of primary importance. Because Paul is talking about, he's addressing these, these issues of, of essential and inessential issues. Like kind of, there's confusion going on in the church. They don't know which ones they should care about. And he's advising them to pick their battles to maintain unity. So in any given situation that's coming up, consider, is the gospel at stake in this moment? Is the gospel of salvation through faith at stake in this moment? If if I or anyone at this church preaches a message where, where scripture isn't the foundation, isn't the source material, I wanna know about it. If someone in the church is pointing you away from Jesus as our means of reconciliation, of uniting with God, let's fight that. But otherwise, Let's maintain unity. And how do we do that? How do we take the heart of the message of Romans 14, 15? Well, I think there's a few, few steps. We can first think about Jesus. It's kind of a good step in most situations. Let's first think about Jesus. Romans 14, verse 7. We don't live for ourselves. We don't die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die... It's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord of both the living and the dead. So why condemn another believer? Why look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So first, think about Jesus. Secondly, be united by thinking about others. Romans 15, verse 1. You who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. And then thirdly, so think about Jesus, think about others. And then thirdly, then think about the issue. So very simply, let's think before we act. Let's accept one another as Christ accepted you. And honestly, we could end there. And we could take that and go, okay, we're going to do that. We're going to take those three steps. We'll think about Jesus. We'll think about others. We'll put them first. And then we'll think about what issues we don't agree with. And we'll have conversations and dialogue and all those those things. But although that seems straightforward and that's that's part of what Romans is teaching, I want us to explore um, just one verse in Romans um, with a greater depth this morning. So let's pray again before we, we jump in. Father... 
as people, as broken people, we don't want to be united with others because it takes vulnerability and effort because we have to give something to someone and we have to ask something of them too. So we can only do it with your help and with your power and with your love and with your grace. So we ask that you instill those things in our hearts now. Amen. So what I want to focus on is Romans 14, verse 19. And it says, you're to make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. In the New Living Translation, it says, let's aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. In the English Standard, it says, let's pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. And I think it's helpful. So if you're not used to having all these different translations, it's, it's kind of helpful. We do it in our community group all the time. We start with a passage, we read it, and we explore it together, and then we maybe read it again in a different version, maybe again in another version. Oftentimes, we end up in the children's version because we like to understand what on earth we're talking about, and we like to dumb it down. We start strong, and then we just kind of scale back down. But if some of them really take like the Greek words and they translate it word for word, like the English standard, and it can be kind of hard to read, hard to like read the prose of it, the, nar- the narrative of it, the poetry of it, but it's really good to study. The New Living is what I use for devotional, and it's got a nicer float. It's a little bit easier to devotionally read. And then like the message paraphrase or, or the passion translation that we've been using recently, again, has more poetry to it. It helps you kind of understand it. All together, they paint a good picture. So in your community groups, we've found that really, really helpful. Now, in this sense, pursue is really key, I think, because the pursuit for unity looks different for each of us because it involves more than one person. It involves you and someone else. You can't pursue someone without them being somewhat engaged. You can't pursue them in a dating relationship against their will because relationships aren't Disney relationships where the princess helplessly waits in the castle for a knight in shining armor to come in and rescue her, then probably wear her down a little bit through some clever use of manipulation, probably kiss her while she's asleep, which is concerning. (laughs) That's not how it goes. You can pursue peace with someone. You can't do it to them. You can do it with them, though. So you have to start with a place of respect, a place of prayer for them, Believing in each other as, as people, as people, children of God, rather than as a, as a conquest or a goal or a task. And how do we go about it? Well, as so often he does, Jesus gives us the answer in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus commands unity because unity is love. He commands that we love others in the same way that we love ourselves. Do we give ourselves grace? Do we reason with ourselves and excuse our behavior or our thoughts? Do we hold ourselves accountable to various degrees? Yeah, we do. Love is an action. And Jesus commands that we move to action. And ultimately, God unites us through the gospel message because here's some, some true facts. We didn't choose each other in this room. We chose Jesus. And we've talked about that through Romans, that we chose a, a new master, a new direction, a new authority over our lives. And that's the most important thing. It's not, it's not choosing the right church or the right worship style 
Those things are worth considering as we want to deepen our faith. We want to know what, what speaks to us, what helps us, what furthers that relationship with Jesus. But the uniting factor between each of us, between me and you, is that we love Jesus. We like Colorvolt. We love Jesus. We enjoy bagels, but we love Jesus. We appreciate the view, but we love Jesus. We don't like the chairs, but we love Jesus. And that alone, that desire to abide in Him, to be with Him, to seek His face should be enough to bring at least some level of unity and belonging to everyone here and to the church beyond these walls. Don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that, that there was some iteration of the church in a previous generation where this came easy, where the conflicts were non-existent. Don't, don't imagine the first generation Christians enjoyed this depth of community that is now impossible for us to reach. If you read the New Testament, you'll see time and time again that Jesus' followers were, were fighting to ensure the believers stuck to the truth and to each other. So it might look different, but it's the same challenge. And C.S. Lewis wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, as you know, and in the 60s, he, well, he wrote a lot of books, but he also wrote a book called The Four Loves. And it's based around um, four Greek words for love, eros, agape, storge, and philia. And eros is romantic love, which is easily self-sacrificial. It's more than passion, although passion is a, is a, is a helpful emotion. And the true romance goes, goes deeper than that. It's so deep that the idea of it being transitory or fleeting, it should feel foreign. That, that's the depth of it is. It's, it's in many ways the picture of God's love for the world, of Christ's love for his bride, the church. And then agape, charity, the self-sacrificial love, it's, it's abandoned, it's reckless love. It comes alive in us. In, in Matthew 6, it says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The treasure can be stored up in the way that we treat others, the way we sacrifice for each other at a heart level. Storge is, a, is an affection type of love. It covers an array of, of loves and relationships. Um, Lewis says this. This is just beautiful, so I, I wanted to read it. It lives with humble, private things, with soft slippers and old clothes and old jokes, the thump of a sleepy dog's tail on the kitchen floor, and the sound of a sewing machine. Affection sits alongside other loves. It's, it's the familiar, I can't say that word, familiarity. I've practiced this so many times. Is that it, familiarity? It is being familiar with the people that you are thrown together with. So people in families, the people you didn't choose. Perhaps a college, in the mess, and a church. The affection for the people around us in the normal day-to-day -day of life is the majority of the love that we actually experience, even if we don't label it as such. And the last one, philia, is friendship. Lewis says it's the love dismissed. The modern world ignores this because it's the most time-consuming, probably. It's the least celebrated, and honestly, the one that we can survive without because we have such a consumer mentality. We have a what's-the-point attitude. Like, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? Because there's a fairly obvious outcome to, to romance. I have three of them. 
that, that was not a very romantic sentence, but there are some fairly obvious outcomes to romance. Affection enables us to have that sense of belonging, a sense of place, like I, this is where I belong, I'm part of this, I'm part of something. And charity obviously provides this track to redemption. But friendship doesn't quite provide the same level of productivity on the surface. Now this is what Lewis says, he says, friendship likely has the closest resemblance to heaven where we'll be intertwined in our relationships. We can develop a kinship over something in common. And we could longing for camaraderie that makes friendship all the more wanted. It has to be about something, friendship. It has to, it has to circle around something. Uh, Lewis says, those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere have no fellow travelers. So it's this kind of love that we're talking about, this kind of love that, that forms college groups around the most obscure activities you've ever heard. I did a Google search. You're welcome. University of Michigan has a mustache club. The Colton College in Minnesota has a squirrel watching club. There are countless colleges with cosplay clubs. At my college had a field hockey club, equally weird. Lewis is trying to get people to think about the love of a church family as this storge love, the love that you don't choose, that you, you have these relationships around a commonality, and, the, the, and that takes some responsibility. It's going to take some effort, because you might not be like-minded, because you're actually together, because your bond is formed over something else, in our case, a faith in Jesus. But this is where I think Lewis is wrong, because I think this church can be more than that storge love. I think we should strive for a filial love, a friendship that in turn and over time deepens and develops into an agape love when we sacrifice for each other that reflects the love and the grace and the acceptance that Jesus offers each of us. If you think, if you cast your minds back, however long it is, to the people that you have um, good friendships with solely because you work together, and particularly the ones that stick in my mind are the, are the friends that you had when you were like a teenager in your first job and you're working at a store or you're working wherever it was and your friends, even though you're 18, 19, 20, you're friends with the 55-year-old somebody. You're friends with the, the, the 65-year-old almost on their retirement moment. You're, and you're friends. You are good friends with these people. It's a relationship that goes deeper than just we hate the boss. Like there's something there. You want them to be on shift with you. You shared a commonality in work. And you would never have spent time with them otherwise. Your paths would never have naturally crossed, but you forged this fellowship over a break room microwave that nobody will clean. You've traveled a road together. And as many of you know, I was a nurse in, in England before, stepping into ministry many years ago. And um, in, in the ER, a place of high stress, of high achievement, high challenge, and also of low lows can be a place where, where teams are forged. I was telling the staff this, the, the church staff this the other day, and um, so teams are forged in the hard things and really forged in the fire. And that's where unlikely teams come together. That's where these relationships abound forever in a way you can't really explain. And I have friends um, that I worked with 20 years ago in, in the hospital that I love dearly, and we still have a bond that will not be broken because we did some hard things together. But I think we can be deeper than colleagues in this room because we're traveling a longer road, a more important one, and we shouldn't settle for just a storge love, a love where we put up with people and do some hard things together. 
LMCC has been through some transition, and we actually are going to talk a bit more about that in a, in a few weeks ahead. We're in this kind of discernment phase, if you will, right now, and, and we're, we're building and planning towards strategy. As I say, there's more, more to come, but we're building a culture here. Whether you, whether you like it or not, culture is built by means of just existing. It just happens. And what I think Jesus wants us to do is be intentional about the, the culture that we build, not just let it happen. He wants us to be intentional about a culture of unity. So I wanted to start with that prayer of Jesus that Jasmine read at the beginning. I'll read it again. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus, he wants us to be known for the unity, for the love we have for each other. We don't just wanna wait around to see what God has in store and let's avoid arguments, but he wants us to create a loving, vibrant, authentic community here. We wanna move into a deeper place of discipleship with Jesus together. The unity of mission, the unity of faith, a complete unity that comes only from relationship. So I wanna share another story um, from, from John's gospel, John 21. So Jesus has died, he's, he's resurrected from the dead, he's, he's visited the disciples a couple of times. So we're in that kind of place in the Bible. There's a ton of doubt. There's a ton of confusion. There's a lot of human vulnerability. Because as people, we want to project everything's okay. Yeah, how was your week? It's fine. How are you? I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's on fire, but it's fine. Everything's fine. On the edge of giving up, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Which is a bigger statement than it originally seems. Because he's saying, I'm done. This is too hard. This is too unknown. This is too challenging. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to my previous profession. I'm going back to running a small business. And this isn't, this isn't the first time this has happened in the Bible either. The Israelites did the same thing. They were released from Egypt and then they're, they're in the desert and they're wandering in the wilderness and they say the same thing. We're like, this is hard. And I don't know where we're going. And I don't blame them. It was hard. And they say, well, let's just go back. I'm done. Let's just go back. I'm done. So it says this, it's starting at verse three. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. We'll go with you, the other said. They got out, they went out and got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the, in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples did not realize that it was him. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. So he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of such a large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as he heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for taking it off, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. 
Okay, there is so much we could unpack in that story. So much, it's a, it's a sermon in itself. It's probably three sermons in itself. But what I want us to see in this moment of confusion, of pain, of uncertainty, and of fear, that Jesus doesn't provide all the answers. What Jesus does is shows up and says this. Verse 12, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. This is unity. This is grace. Jesus provides nourishment and community. He tends to the relationships. He doesn't start with correction and judgment. He doesn't ask why they're scared or confused. He meets them right where they're at. And I don't think that was by accident. I don't think he was tricking them into a brunch meeting. He wanted to unite them again to show his love, to show his compassion. And Jesus wants us to do the same thing. To maintain unity is not a business strategy to streamline operations. It's a yearning from Jesus himself. It's not an optional thing. And it's not about uniformity either. I mentioned Calavo earlier. Calavo brings artists and they bring their uniqueness together in unity, not in uniformity, intentionally to worship the Lord together. America is a, a melting pot of people, New York City as much as anywhere, but that doesn't hold a candle to the church worldwide. It is intentional that the body of Christ is built of so many and from so many different places, and it's no surprise this will cause conflict and challenge, and it'll take effort, and you'll have to lean in, and it won't happen by accident. Unity won't happen by accident. We're too selfish. We're too, too self-centered. Churchill said this, Winston Churchill, he said, when there's no enemy within, the enemies without can't hurt you. There's no enemies within, the outside enemies, they can't get you. And I think the enemy can really be anything if you think about it. You want to diet? Do it in community. You want to build muscle? Do it in community. You want freedom from an addiction? Do it in community. You want to survive Halloween with three young kids? Do it in community. You gotta go to the DMV, that will be more enjoyable in community, I promise. We're the church. You are the church. So we have to go after it. You might be the one. You might be the one uniquely positioned to sacrifice for someone else. You may be the one uniquely equipped with a unique experience to fulfill the work of the church in the life and faith of someone else. It's easy to coach from the sidelines. That's easy. And the thing is, if everyone did something, it wouldn't be that big a lift. We will have to do a little in order to be trusted with what is big. When it comes to unity, Andy Stanley at North Point Church has a, a strategy, a phrase, um, and it's a, it's a helpful one. It says, do for one what you can't do for everyone. One of our mission partners has the same concept. Do for one what you can't do for everyone. If you don't start small, you'll be frozen because the task is overwhelming. Trying to become best friends, to coin a phrase, with everyone in the room is too much. So build a close relationship with one, and there may be another, and there may be another. Do for one what you can't do for everyone. Jesus had dinner with Zacchaeus. Note there's a theme around meals here. The dinner table, or breakfast table, is a powerful place for community. 
But he had dinner with Zacchaeus. And as far as we know, he didn't have dinner at the house of everyone he met. We don't have evidence of that either way, but it seems somewhat logistically difficult. He did for one or a few what he couldn't do for everyone. Start small. If the idea of it is terrifying, start small. For years, um, before coming to New York, I went to a CrossFit gym, and CrossFit, if you know anything about CrossFit, they like to do things upside down. I don't know why. And I struggled to do things the right way up, so I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan of the upside down things. But if you want to do a handstand walk, so upside down handstand walk, you, you, that's hard. So you start off by doing um, like dumbbell presses, and then you, you put your knees on a box and it kind of goes sort of upside down and, and do some pushes that way. And then you might do a, a wall walk and put your legs up the wall. And, and then you might do a kick up to the wall. Then you might do handstand push-ups, and then you could progress to handstand walks. I didn't do any of those things. Um, <laughs> that's madness. Um, I stayed on like the first thing. I'll just keep doing this. This is much easier for you guys. Um, f- functional fitness. Never found that functional. Um, but the point is, you can't just jump into a handstand walk. You have to do the things at the bottom first. You have to build a foundation. I mean, same with the same analogy. If you're trying to build muscle, you have to start light. You have to build technique. You have to build muscle slowly. If you go straight for the big weights, you might get it up one time. You might be able to pivot using your lower back. You might be able to get that thing off the floor once, twice. You won't be able to repeat it. It won't have any longevity. You need to build from something small. Okay, here's where I think this church can be different still. Because I think the idea of unity, an idea of connecting with at least one person on a deeper level here, I think we'd all kind of nod our heads and agree with that. Yeah, that makes sense. That seems like an easy action step. It makes me feel sick because I don't want to do it, but I get it. I'm in. That seems fine. That seems easy. But I think we can be a church that seeks for a little bit more. Let me explain. Shay and I have a friend, Jana, and she turns 50 years old in May, this coming May. She has four kids in high school and junior high, and she has been in ministry for most of her professional life. She lives in Washington State. She's like a sister to me, and she's like a sister to Shay. And we formed those, those relationships before Shay and I were even together. After we were married, we lived on, on Jana's property with their family. So we have deep relationship. Jana was discharged from hospital on Friday into hospice care at home. And we hold hope for her. And her wants are simple. She wants to spend the remaining few days she has with her tribe in her house. With her windows open and the breeze on her face. And we had the privilege of talking with her for about an hour or so on the phone on, on Thursday night. And her speech is a little slurred. We told her we loved her. And she said the same. And we're ending the call and she said, well, all right, I'll talk to you soon. Actually, probably not. And after the call, Shane and I prayed together. We could, we could barely find the words. And she put on a worship song. It's a Bethel song. And the chorus goes, your goodness is running after me. Your goodness is running after me. It's running after me. And with my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything because your goodness is running after me. And you know what, church? I know that's true. And I, I can barely grasp the words of, of that song that I sing. That I surrender and lie down, lay down my life 
But I believe that God's goodness is running after me. I do. And I have yelled and I have sung that song at the top of my lungs over the past few years. And there's times that it's given me strength. But this, this is the bit that I want us to be different in. Because when I heard that song on Thursday, I didn't feel comfort. I felt let down. I didn't feel like goodness was running after me. I felt like I was chasing it down. And I'm struggling to feel what I know to be true. And I know it's true. And I'm going to continue to sing it and yell it out. But I want you to know that it's hard. Because I want us to be a church that stands firm in faith, but is honest with the struggle it can be to feel that conviction and walk in it. My mom is struggling with her own cancer journey. We're heading back to the UK in, I don't know, two weeks. And I want to be vulnerable. It is so hard. I love Jesus. And I have the hope of heaven. And so does Jana. And so does my mom. I lost my, there it is. But I don't, I don't want this, this to end this sermon with this action step that just sounds like everything's good, everything's fine, everything's easy. So just make a new friend. Let's wrap it up with a neat bow and make a friend on the way out. Have a conversation in the elevator. I want to end this sermon with a challenge to be vulnerable with each other, to share what is hard, to share where the struggle is and not fear judgment or disapproval, to build close, safe relationships so you can say the hard thing, that you're lonely, that your marriage is hard, that you struggle to give up the things that are getting in the way of your relationship with God, that you don't have it all together, but you're terrified of people finding out, that you're trying to separate a love of status over a relationship, or that you simply need help. If you choose to struggle alone, if you choose to maintain an outward appearance to others, what does that do? Who does that protect? Does that draw us to Jesus? If you're unable to be vulnerable, to share the human pain, if you're unable to hold that tension in faith, how can anyone else be vulnerable with you? Jesus wept. Jesus wrestled. Jesus asked his friends to sit with him. And I want us to be so much more than a church that puts on our Sunday best, puts our best foot forward, heads to church on a Sunday morning to listen to a TED talk before brunch. We need to be so much more than an event. If this is an event, if this is entertainment, it's not even that good. We need to engage on a real, vulnerable level. And if we don't, we're at best a social club and at worst, a spiritual gas station. Jesus resides in us so that we may be brought to complete unity so that the world will know that God sent Jesus, so that the world will know that he loves us in the same way that he loves his son. This is our time, and this is the charge set before us to unite under the banner of Lord Jesus Christ, under his direction, under his perfect vision for the world. Unite in love, and in mission, and in purpose, Leave the opinions, the posturing, the politics. Leave the ego at the door. Stop protecting that facade. We all need Jesus. And the more readily we admit that to each other, the more vulnerable and open we can be about where we need help, the more united we will become.
Jesus can take time to have breakfast with his friends after everything that had happened, with everything that is to happen, with a lifetime of ministry ahead of them, with generations of work to build a church. If he can take time, so can we. So come to the table. Come as you are. Come and eat breakfast. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for all you do. We lay our concerns, our hurts, our pain before your throne. And we ask that Jesus, you just take us in your arms. Allow us and help us to be vulnerable and open. We can share pain with each other, that we can walk a road together. We pray that we can do it, bring unity and honor to your name. Amen.